Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, today's guest is Travis Shettle, lead vocalist and guitarist for the Andover, Massachusetts rock band, Piebald. Together we take a deep dive into their fan favorite single, American Hearts, taken from their 2002 album, We Are the Only Friends We Have. Talk about throwing in the kitchen sink, this song has it all. A hit you over the head anthemic chorus, a great lyrical storyline with amazing imagery, and more musical twists and turns than I can count. I mentioned to Travis that this song took me longer to dissect than any other song I've broken down here on Krista Makes a Podcast. It's literally one hook after another. Travis mentioned that this was the band's second attempt at recording the track, and he credits producer Paul Coldery with finding the right tempo that makes this song swing and groove the way that it does. I truly feel that Piebald were ahead of their time. And no one sounds like Travis to me from a vocal standpoint. He truly has his own thing going on. For all this and a whole lot more, don't touch that dial. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Travis, my man, how are we today? I am good. How are you? I am awesome. Uh, where are you at right now? I'm in New Orleans in my dining room slash sort of school desk area. Are you back in school? I am. Uh, I'm trying to pursue my master's in social work. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. This is my third semester. It's almost done. Then I start again in mid-August, and that's when I go into my field placement stuff. So I'll probably have much more of an idea if this is the thing or not, but I hope it is. Well, again, congrats. That's awesome. You know, I have a recurring uh, dream slash nightmare. You know, I, I left college in my after my second year at the University of Florida, and I had this political science class, and the teacher just, I couldn't stand him, and I have the recurring dream that I'm in the class, and I didn't study for the test, and I'm failing. It happens about once a year, so good, oh. good for you. Yeah, that's, that <laughs> dream sounds terrible, though, so I, I get it. I dropped out a couple of times from college as well to go on piebald tours. It would, you know, I, I think twice I did, but I still managed to graduate from UMass Boston. But that was also in 2000, so a long time ago. Awesome. Yeah, so how long have you been living in New Orleans for now? The last five and a half years, since the very end of 2017. I love it. Well, for the listeners, before we started recording here, we were talking about how uh, we both can't figure out how Piebald and Less Than Jake never played a show together. I'm, I'm kind yeah. of astounded by that. <laughs> I also am. It just seems like at some point those these paths would have crossed, you know? Absolutely. Well, you guys were formed in Andover, uh, Massachusetts in 1994. And the album We Are the Only Friends We Have was your third studio record. And that has American Hearts on it, uh, which we're going to break down today. So if you can take us back to, to this time period of, of writing this record, uh, do, you, do you recall writing American Hearts? I do. And we even wrote it before that because it came out on an EP called The Rock Revolution Will Not Be Televised that had five songs and it was the first recording of American Hearts that we did with Brian McTurnan and it's a little slower and it's much less produced and there's a guy above me and he's washing windows making ten bucks a pop and he says to me hey you're part of it Hey! 
but I remember writing the song before that with Al, the drummer at that time, and the rest of the Pieball guys, Andy and Aaron. And uh, we were probably in a Boston practice space and just kicking around riffs. I usually would bring in something where I had a part A and a part B, but I might not know the rest. You know, I'm like, Mm -hmm. this is a verse, this is a chorus. Let's put it together. You know, let's where the where's the other stuff go? What is the other stuff? And so I, I think I had that. Yeah. And then I think we just played that and maybe stopped and Andy and Al kept going or something. And and that just formed. I don't know. I, that's kind of my vague memory of how that song in particular sort of came into being in the riff area. Well, the record We Are the Only Friends We Have was released on February 19th of 2002 on Big Wheel Recreation. Did the label want you to re-record it? Is it something you wanted to re-record? Was it because uh, you, you saw the fan reaction to it when you played it live? Uh, what, what was the reason? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of both. We knew it was a, a good, catchy song. I think Rama, I remember he was like, you guys should really re-record this. It's, you know, you, it can be made different and, and better. You could get something out of it, you know? And I think we went for that with Paul Coldry, even on the whole album, it sounds much more produced and, and well-constructed than our previous records. Even if we love those as well, you can hear that there's a change. Something's going on. We've, we've added to it. Right. And we'll, we'll talk about Paul Coldery a little bit more as we get into the episode. He's produced the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, Lemonheads, Radiohead, Belly, Warren Zavon, Morphine, etc. Talked about him with Dickie and Joe from the Boss Tones. Of course, he did Let's Face It. And yep. I think he's brilliant. Of course, he works a lot of times in conjunction with Sean Slade. But this was just Paul. Was there an option to work with him and Sean? No, that option came up on the next record. We made All Ears, All Eyes, All the Time. It was both of them together. We worked with both. Sean even played some sax on it, I think, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, Sean was there for sure. Well, you know, I, I always do intros at the top of this show, and I always say, you know, today's guest is Travis Shuttle uh, from, from the punk rock band or the metal band or, or whatever <laughs> I say. I, I don't even know how to describe you guys. Yeah. No, I don't know what it is either. I mean, we're a rock punk band. More like the rock comes first, the punk part second. But I feel like I don't know what it is exactly either. But I I think that's probably in the long haul a good thing because you can't quite describe it. But I guess you have to compare us to who we played shows with, right? Like Hot Rod Circuit, Newfound Glory, Glassjaw, The Format. It's like a melange of all of these alternative musics at the time, right? That all kind of came out of like punk. Right. Were, were you guys friends with Caven, also a Boston band? Yeah, absolutely. We played Caven's first show. Okay. Because <laughs> I hear that too. I hear I hear uh, amalgamation of all the things that you, you just talked about. But I think that's what's great about your band. And, you know, your name just it keeps coming up to this day. People always talk about you. And, and I'm wondering, again, I say this, you know, I feel you guys were vastly underrated. Not underrated in terms of, oh, they, they could have sold more records, this or that or whatever, but just everything. Everybody I talk to, it's like they just go crazy for your band. And getting back to, to describing you, it's like I hear, I hear punk, I hear, I hear some pop, I hear post-hardcore, uh, I hear progressive, almost metal elements uh, in the music. It's it's really all over the place, but it's cohesive at the same time. Well, thanks. I mean, that is kind of I we all, I think I always aim to be like, well, we have to make something that you haven't heard because if you already heard it, what's the point, right? Like, so you gotta. I don't know, take the steps to the left or the right or fall down the hole and be like, we got to do something different somewhere. Are you going to, I don't know. I would go bored crazy playing something that was just a B, a B, a B straightforward all the time. I want to think and move and explore music and push it. And we can make our own rules with it. That's what's exciting. You know, you can do anything you want. It's, it's a beautiful free molding clay to just mess with and, and, and push around and, and sure and you can also be like well that's too much i don't like that take a step back pull it out i mean there's so there's music's beautiful and wildly creative and and i always wanted piebald and i think the rest of the guys do too to make something that yes it's catchy and there's a song in there but you're not just 
given something straightforward. It's hopefully a unique song experience. Well, you you guys are definitely unique. I don't know of another band that sounds like you. It's it, it's awesome. You know this uh, this particular track uh, about the first minute of it. I'm like, okay, this is relatively. Uh, straightforward uh, and then from there it just goes off the rails this song has so many parts so many changes so many little dynamics within the track that it took me this is probably one of the longest songs ever for me to comb through and get notes with uh, in the two years of doing this podcast that's interesting to me because i sort of see it as like it's almost one really long part <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know like it's there's not that much differentiation with it and yeah, it's just, I mean, maybe there's like kind of like a vocal breakdown to parts like where you can separate them, I think. But, uh, well, I'm sure we're going to get into that. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and this song has inspired me as a lot of songs I've, I've went through the last two years. It, you know, this podcast has made me fall back in love with the art of songwriting. And when I was going through this song, I'm going, man, I have to think in terms of when I, when I want to write a song like this, where the first verse doesn't sound anything like the second verse and all these elements come in. It, it's, it's just so, so cool. I think clearly we either knew unconsciously or subconsciously or whatever that the that's the theme that you get that's gonna ride that's gonna give you that's your galloping horse of the song right it's <laughs> yeah. like the meat and potato part it's your heartbeat yeah i think you just know that and, and i remember actually going in to record that song the second time we spent a long time figuring out the tempo to make it feel perfect. Like we play parts separately and Paul would, yeah, I remember doing this in the studio. It was all about getting this, like the groove, the perfect groove. And it's faster than the original, which I think is to its benefit. I think the, the second version with Paul is just a lot more, we were better at playing it. It was a better production. The tempo was very clearly thought about. There's a lot of you, I think cool guitar interplay in there. So uh, yeah, we really, I think made it better. And I do remember spending a lot of time on the tempo. It was like, we'd move back and forth five BPMs and then, you know, snuggle it in there and be like, no, we got, it's got to be a little bit slower. And I, we, would wrangle with it. I do remember that. Yeah, and I didn't hear any tempo mapping going on. And for the listeners, that's where you'll have, you know, a different metronome uh, in, in different parts of the song. Did you decide on one BPM for the song? Uh, no, I think what we would do, we just found the, the like, groove we were, the yeah. pocket for everything. You know, it wasn't like switching it per part. It was like, we just got to make sure the song in all parts feels the most grooving. But yeah, I do remember just spending a lot of time on getting the right, tempo for that song well i yeah. you, you hit it out of the park i probably wrote groove down in my notes about 10 times here there's just such a feel here it just makes you feel so good i think i think you guys hit it out of the park the original version do you recall the arrangement being differently or any lyrics being different no i believe the arrangement and the lyrics were exactly the same i could be wrong but i'm pretty sure they were they were exactly the same it was more Definitely tempo was the issue. The first version is kind of sluggish. You know, it's a little like, I guess if it's the first time you hear it and it's the first time you create it, it's, that's the version. But looking back on it now, it's one of the only songs we've done twice and released. So I see our second version as being exponentially better. We were just, we were better players. Again, the production. Yeah, I don't think much changed from the original format of the song. So when Paul Coldery heard the track, you know, he obviously heard the original. Was he one of the ones pushing to, to re-record it? What did he think of the song? Do you remember? I think he liked it. I don't remember him pushing or, or pulling. You know, I don't remember him having a perspective either way. I remember him coming to two of our practices, which I thought was really cool that that happened. I don't know. It's just something I hadn't experienced before. Yeah. He came and we played him all 14 songs or something, or maybe we had 12 at the time and we were working on two more because we recorded 14. That's cool that you thought it was neat that he came to, because I remember the first time a producer came to our rehearsal space, it was intimidating. Like, why are they yeah. here? Are they going to yeah. change our songs? What are they going to do? And that's sometimes what happened. He would, he would, it was awesome. I have this very, I guess it's a very visceral memory. I can remember he was sitting on like a, an amp or something on the other side of this place in outside of the burbs of Boston. And 
And I just remember him. He would he'd be like, all right, play another one. And he'd just sit there and kind of close his eyes and then just kind of jam and be like, oh, that's great. And I remember after uh, Look, I Just Don't Like You, we started it and played through the end. He goes, that song needs an intro. And we're like, <laughs> He's like, before the lyrics come in, it needs an intro. And if you'll notice, it doesn't have an intro. It just kicks in. It doesn't look good to me. What happened is we added an intro and came back next week and he goes, no, you got to take the intro out again. And then like things like that would happen too, where it was like, he saw the song as we did and was like, that maybe was the right or the way for this band to do this, you know? And so like, we would have a nice rapport going back and forth at those practices. And I thought that was at least unique to me at that time. That's awesome. And he wasn't stubborn or he didn't have an ego in the sense that, you know, he could admit, you know what? I was wrong. You guys are right. Let's just crank this off the top uh, how you had it. Yeah, that's what I remember. And it was it felt very democratic and creative and nice. It was awesome. That's cool. One last thing before we jump into the song. You know, when you when you decided to re-record this track, where did it sit amongst the other songs on the record? Was it like, eh, this is a retread or, or were you just as excited about it at that point? We were just as excited about it. And I remember this kind of like a strange, I don't know. It, when we, when the album came out, it was before, no, it was right after. It was right after 9 11. Mm-hmm. And so Rama, I remember, and, and, you know, some other people worked at Big Wheel and people around would be like, you got to push American Hearts. You got to like, they're like, this is the time. Just put it like, and I think my thinking was like, I don't, we already we wrote this song like five years ago mm-hmm. this shouldn't be the single like and then we went with simple plan and looking back on it who cares we wrote all the songs i probably should have just listened to people and been like just because we said the word american hearts in it maybe people would have just grabbed onto it and then found out about our band i don't know but yeah. that's not the path we chose mm-hmm. so but it was right around that time and i remember you know like uh What's his name? That that guy that has that song, I Still Love You, New York, or whatever, where he, Ryan Adams, Ryan mm-hmm. Adams, Ryan, Ryan Adams, <laughs> one of them. <laughs> but I remember like that song he filmed, you know, a couple weeks before the Twin Towers went down and it became this huge song. So it almost felt like a little bit abusive to the event that happened to me. And that's why I didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I would be profiting from the right. disaster right somehow and i didn't i don't know i guess that's where i got caught in the mental trap but looking back on it would that have changed our trajectory it's entirely possible <laughs> yeah it's hard to look back and, and try to figure you know we you were 20 years younger you know we we think differently yeah. you know you you, you grow up and, and and things change but we'll hop into the song right now the song is three minutes and 10 seconds it's just a kick snare real quick right off the top and we're into chorus one hey you're part of it Hey, you're part of it. Yeah, you're part of it. Hey, <laughs> you're part of it. Yeah, you're part of it. Right off the top. So what's going on there? Well, first hitting you with the chorus and I guess the theme too. But what's going on there is that's the guy washing windows yelling at me. And he's saying, hey, like, yeah, you're a part of all the problems. You know, he's like, you're a part of it. You mm-hmm. know, he's kind of blaming me for life. Right. Which is almost justifiable you know but hearing it is weird but that's where it's coming from it's somebody yelling at me yeah i i I kind (laughs) of got that from the lyric but you could also take it like hey you're part of it like you're part of this movement or you're part of this thing and and as a listener in an audience i could just see the fists in the air hey you're part of it and just everyone just you know gathering together from that lyric yeah it's almost a blaming thing it's funny someone else thought that the words had been like painted wrong on this this side of this building which is also shocking that that exists where it says <laughs> hey you're part of it but 
he thought it was your part of it as in like your section of it, like your, Oh, wow. You know? So I was like, Oh, that's interesting too. Like I never thought about it like that because that's not how my, I was thinking, this is somebody yelling at me, you know, that, Hey, you're part of it is somebody yelling at me for my quality of life versus their quality of life. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm listening to it with, with the conjunction here of you are part of it. You know, I'm, I'm seeing it written, but I could see how he would just think, or someone would think it's just your. Yeah your part of your sec your whatever yeah that was interesting when someone said that to me because i'd never thought about it like that <laughs> right well and i think this this chorus is perfect i think it's it's perfect off the top and i love the simplicity of it i love that it doesn't go anywhere else in the other choruses because it doesn't need to you know i just think it's just it just hits you over the head like a hammer in a great way the chorus is 16 bars the stereo guitars are doing these killer diminished chords that chug you're talking about it's locked tight with an awesome bass and drum groove also sounds like there's another guitar maybe doing octaves at the top do you recall i don't but that's definitely that sounds like something we would have done yeah it's just so heavy and and you know 20 years later this song just still just sounds so killer was this recorded to pro tools uh yeah uh but we did to we did the drums to take so we were in q division which is in somerville and let's see i think i want to say we did three a long weekend of being in the big room to get the drums on tape. And then we put the tape into Pro Tools and built everything on top of that. Gotcha. Well, there's a tambourine here that's really making this part swing with this eighth note pattern that it's playing. And would you recall if that was on the uh, original recording? No, the original recordings was pretty much no bells and whistles. That whole EP was kind of like two guitars, bass, drums, a vocal, maybe two. I remember there was a acoustic guitar somewhere on there, but mm-hmm. like there were, there was sparse extras, but there was a lot going on at that time recording. I remember our original drummer, his father died while we were recording with Brian McTernan mm-hmm. and we kind of like had to like rush and finish up to go to the funeral. It was very recording the rock revolution where we first recorded American hearts. We didn't have a lot of time. And, and then we got even, it got cut shorter. So it was, I think maybe all the extra things just got forgotten about and, you know, decided whatever, this is how we do things anyway, that's good enough. But, you know, obviously when we worked with Paul and going to Q Division, which was a very real studio, very like known place in Boston, it just changed the our what we could do. We, right. we had a month at Q Division. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that was like, being in music vacation it was so cool you had the luxury of time for the first time in your career it it sounds like and as you mentioned earlier uh the original recording was was more so of a demo which you just said it was very stripped down compared to this but once in a while i'll mention the a tambourine in a song when it makes the part and it just has to be here man it just makes this part swing it's awesome and it's a single vocal throughout here except for the hey and the yeahs it sounds like it's it's doubled there or or maybe there's a couple other vocals do you, do you remember how many vocal tracks were on that yeah probably what we did is doubled a group like i probably did a vocal and that's maybe up front a little more mm-hmm. and then we probably all me probably not john he was pretty not <laughs> he wouldn't have done that it sounds like the vocals are kind of pan left and right with one up the center yeah like i said i think it was like we went in there and did hardcore style where we went hey you know like four of us and then we did it again and put one on the left and one on the right something that's really awesome here is then the main riff continues at the end of the chorus but only for one bar it's such a cool fake out you think the riff's continuing but it's dropping into verse one there that's genius That little bar there is awesome. Maybe we talked about this earlier a little bit, but I think that was almost a development by mistake. (laughs) I think we played it four times and that was all we had. And Andy and Al at the time uh, kept going. And then I think we were like, well, that's that's where the verse is. We just lay it over this bass line and Aaron and I get out of there with the guitars and that's the verse. I walk the streets of a Carolina Watching people pushing shopping carts And there's a guy above me And he's washing windows Making ten bucks a pop And he says to me, hey! I walk the streets of a Carolina Watching people pushing shopping carts 
and there's a guy above me, and he's washing windows, making 10 bucks a pop, and he says to me. So this is kind of like a, a few of my walking around, for whatever reason, on tour and, and in the cities I live in experiences, you know? So like, I've combined a few things from my life at this point when I was writing that, and I kind of just took a bunch of scenes that I'd had and then the experience of the guy kind of yelling at me who was a window washer and put them together in that verse. Well, again, the, the verses of the, of this track, they, nothing ever is the same. And I love this first verse. The guitars hang out over the first verse. They're ringing out from that fake out I was just talking about for the first two lines. And then they swell into some really great feedback before a staccato punch of, of guitar chord just Boom, it drops. And uh, the guitar completely goes out of verse one there. The last four lines here, it just breaks down to bass and drums. Uh, again, on the original recording, was it like that or was that something you, you did with Paul? No, that was like that. But I think we were able to make it more dramatic with Paul. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, was, it was more well executed, thought out, and conceptualized when we hit the studio with Paul. Hey everybody, don't go anywhere. We got lots more with Travis Shettle from Piebald after a few words from our sponsors. Well, hey friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalist. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. The new Punchline song, I Don't Want to Leave Yet, is out now. And as your appreciative podcast producer, I would be honored if you'd give it a listen wherever you stream music. Here's a quick little sample of it for you. Punchline I Don't Want to Leave Yet is available to listen to at all the places you listen to music, so thanks in advance for putting a little punchline in your ears. And now, back to the show. And when you're first listening to it, it drops out. I'm thinking, this is, you're thinking initially it's only going to drop out for a second, but it goes for all four of those lines. You're wait, like, wait, what happened here? But it's perfect because when you go into chorus two, it just, <laughs> the lights come back on and it's huge. And he says to me, hey, you're part of it. Yeah, you're part of it. Hey, you're part of it. Yeah, you're part of it. Don't bore us. Get to the chorus. <laughs> there you so go. I, I think here it's like we knew again, you know, that's the, this, the dan, 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 and the hey, you're part, that's that's clearly the I don't know. Come on, everybody, we're singing this together, even though, as I described, it's sort of a, like an I'm yelling at you meaning that's where it comes from, but <laughs> it's I think fun for people to. I don't know, to get into. It's a, it's a, like, you can be into it. It's easy to feel the groove of that song. Yeah, and, and that groove you're talking about, it was very reminiscent of what was going on in the pop punk of the late 90s, early 2000s. You, you, you would hear that groove 
but it wasn't executed how you guys did. You know, if you guys would have just kept this song as a very simple, straight up pop punk song with that, it, it kind of would have maybe got lumped in with a lot of stuff that was going on. But what you did with the riff, the groove and, how, and, and the moving parts around it is what sets this song apart from everything else that was going on back in that era. Well, thanks. Like I said before, I mean, we just try, we still do, I guess, but you know, you're trying to make something you haven't heard. Maybe it sounds you've heard, but like you want the song to take go on adventures. Like mm -hmm. I, I need some left hand turns here sometimes in my own creativity to keep exploring, you know? Sure. I don't know. Well, what I, what I love about it, you know, you get the chorus right off the top, but then chorus two, you're, it's only 44 seconds in the song and you're already back there. The lyric is exactly the same at the top. And I want to ask you now, did Paul or anybody in the band or yourself at, at this point, were you thinking maybe there should be a little more lyrical content or was the chorus always the chorus as it was? I don't remember any discussion about making the chorus more developed. If it happened, I just don't, I don't remember that ever happening. So I think Paul either... We clearly thought it was good enough because we had already done it once and we'd been playing it for a couple years. But I don't again, I don't I don't remember Paul ever discussing that with us to be like, well, you should work on this, develop this, give this more something. You know, I don't remember that ever happening. Well, that's what I had said earlier. I love how it hits you over the head. I don't think it needs to be anything else there. I think I think it's perfect the, the, the way that it works. And chorus two is the same groove as the top tambourines there again, just shaking, making this thing move. Halfway through this chorus, though, there's a da 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 da. It's a tom buildup. Hey! <laughs> that fill <laughs> is just so heavy. It sounds like there's a ton of room or reverb on those toms at that part. Do you remember talking about that in the mixing? It just sounds huge. I don't, but I do remember us focusing on making the drum sound huge. That was the part. Like that was. Sure, we'd made a few albums and EPs before that, but this was certainly our time a month in this amazing studio to like working with Paul get, to get like the most amazing sounds we could. And he knew what kind of band we were, you know, like we are a loud rock band. We're loud, annoying yeah. rock band. So make us a loud, annoying rock band, you know, <laughs> like do it. I wrote down that's the, the Fugazi part. It's something that they, they would do those, those drum fills. And it almost sounds on first listen, like it's out of place, but it just, it, it works so well. Right after chorus two, we go into verse two. This whole thing to me is a double verse. And I'll, I'll read the lyrics here. I didn't know, like, maybe the second half, is this like a, a the first pre-chorus in the song? What's going on here? But I'm calling this whole thing a verse, and I'll get your opinion in a moment. But I'm going to read all the lyrics here and have you set these up. And I say, sir, well, have you heard that this country is unequal still? History continues itself, continues itself. History continues itself. And I did not create the rules from all I've heard and all I've seen. This place has broken my American heart from all I've heard and all I've seen. This place has broken my American heart. Is that all verse two? No, I, I, I see the second part of those lyrics in what I would call the bridge. Okay. Okay. We'll go with that, but I, I was calling the next part a bridge instrumental, and then the instrumental part after that I was calling a musical interlude. Right, but, uh, a musical interlude. Yeah, I didn't but, even but, know 
<laughs> but uh, we, we can agree to disagree here. So you're, you're thinking the second half of this is a bridge, but it doesn't stand out to me as like really going somewhere else. Again, it, to your point earlier, it's all kind of in the same world. This second thing that I'm calling a verse, but but not in the same world. When I when I go through the, the musical parts here, it's so all over the place and so cool. Thank you. And yeah, it's in my brain. I see those as two because the first one has the first part. You know, so I guess you're saying up up to the part where it says, and I did not create the rules. That'd be verse two. And then from all I've heard out, that's yes. the bridge. Okay. Yeah. And and there is there is a split there, but I want to get into my notes here and then, then we'll discuss. Um yeah, again, again, the guitars don't hang over this time like they did going into verse one. The drums are playing the same or almost similar pattern as verse one, but that's about it. Everything else here is completely different. The stereo guitars are really clean here with a slightly high-end overdrive. Um, and I can't tell, Travis, it's either a, a crazy guitar effect or a keyboard that's uh, doing this little three-note run on all the first... <laughs> yeah, on all first six lines. <laughs> we were really into, and we still are, uh, something we call guitar minis, where you're just yeah. like, you know, you layer a guitar going and then you find a harmony of it and you lay you know you put two of those up top and, and that's where you can put like a scuzzy guitar and a twinkly guitar and you kind of mix them together and have it be one you know and, and have those sit on top of the mix a little bit more like a you know sort of a thin lizzy style sure but just for a couple notes but yeah we we love Guitarmanizing, as we call it. And it's so great that you mentioned Thin Lizzy because they're in my notes later. And when we get into those guitar harmonies <laughs> that, that you're doing and what, nice. I'm, and what I'm calling the bridge, that's great you mentioned them. I, you know, I, I had written here that uh, that guitar effect that almost sounds like a keyboard, it, it's so crazy. It's got this like reverb on it. it, it it's awesome. It's almost jarringly loud but it works perfectly. Do you recall in the mixing stages saying, wow, that's a little up front or was, or did everybody like it? I think we all liked it. Cause I don't remember that. But now that you're saying that they're like, that you hear a keyboard sound in there, there probably was also okay. a keyboard sound in there because I'm sure we did what I said about almost like stacking guitars, but we messed with keyboards on that record a lot. So it is not out of the question that, we would have put a, like a, something on top, you know, like, like I could see us layering a keyboard of just that line. And then Paul being like, let's mix that really loud. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And it's and it's so different. Again, I can't think of another band that, that had an effect or a sound like that that comes in, especially again, the first uh, through the second chorus. It's like, I don't want to say it's straightforward, but like, here's the song. Then you get into verse two and it just goes off the rails. That sound comes. You're like, what is this? It's a completely different musical palette at that point. It just it's it's really, really cool. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what we're going for. So we did it. Right. Well, on the third line, history continues itself. The guitars get slightly heavier there for the next four lines. And uh, on the first, history continues itself, that lyric, it's the same progression on the guitars, but the, it, it just changes key for that one line. What's going on there? That's incredible, that part. why we did that i think it was a way to turn that into a part almost like it felt by just doing the i wish i had the guitar hold on nice he's getting the guitar folks this is great this is when things get serious around here travis when the artist grabs a guitar now we're in high gear i haven't picked one up in a while Maybe I'll <laughs> but i do remember the early days of playing this and we had like limited pedal boards and kind of smaller just a couple effects I remember always having the effect on the part where I go. Oh, yeah. You know, some sort of like phasey thing. But OK, the main part is this, right? The Right. So I was like, that's not enough of a part to me. Mm -hmm. That's like, that's a cool riff. That's not a part. But like, OK. Just, just move it down a step, and but shorter, so you build weird tension, and you're not quite sure why, but I think when you do things like that in music, you, you kind of evoke 
an emotion, even if it's a confusing one. And I like that. So I tend to do that frequently. Yeah, it's another part of this song that to me is is almost jarring in a sense, but it's so it's so great, especially when it comes back. It it, it comes back up a whole step. It's awesome. Yep. And then I I think that also allowed us to go to build into the next part because you can do and you're on B, which is a great note to go into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was, anyway, moving that down a whole step and then coming back up was kind of a way to do multiple things. Make it more of a part on its own. Make it a little bit weird like we do where you're like, well, why did they only go down to that twice and then come back up to the other one? That's what I love about it. And it doesn't happen again in the, in the rest of the song. That's, what, no, that's what's genius about that. It's so good. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, that's, again, it was like, this is still another verse. And you can kind of see why, but it's a different verse. Yeah. So yeah, and I don't know. We we don't even do that very often. Where you know, it's it was a, I guess just a lucky creation that we had. I'm gonna try to steal a page out of your playbook with that one because I love that. I, I've never done that in a song, and it, it is so great. I just I just was thinking about that all this morning of that part. I couldn't wait to talk to you about. It. I'm like, what is going on there? And who yeah. who came up with that? Good for you. Good for you guys. The next part is what, uh, Travis, what you're calling the bridge. And uh, yeah. this is the second half of, of what I thought was a double verse, but we'll go with bridge here. guitars get big again the chords are similar to the choruses but they're changed up just enough to give it its own identity with the stops that are happening there um i, I love this second half again it carries the the pulse of the song it, it's still in the same world but yet you're getting something just a little bit different the way, way the guitars are phrased yes i remember thinking okay well if this is the theme i want to hit the beginning of that but do something different. So then you, right. You still got the, but it was a time for me to then put vocals in, make it a weird time signature and then also get to do, you know, like, I I don't know. It was just another thing that we did at that time to make this song take a little bit of a, an unusual turn. Cause I think even parts in like 10 or something, it's not, it's like a, kind of weird time signature. Yeah, the, you want to talk about taking a left turn. Where the song goes next, it's unreal where it goes because this, what I'm calling the bridge, the next instrumental part, and this whole next section, I, I could either count, depending where I started, 11 or 12 bars. It's it's weird. It kind of, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't really tell. I kept counting differently. I was kind of going crazy last night, but we'll call it 12 bars. There's some really great stops in here where you're getting this little dual guitar harmony runs. It's this thing, the right? That, yes. and, then, and then the other guitar's going. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's the it's the Thin Lizzy, uh, Boston, yeah. Iron Maiden. They 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 all had that great uh, dual dual harmony guitar runs. I love that part. And then we go into a sixteen bar, what I'm calling a, a musical interlude here, which it's a whole other feel for this part. There's a 
great little guitar part that's noodling away, kind of panned off to the right uh, as those guitar keyboard sounds are back in the section. They come back there. The stereo guitars get progressively heavier on the last four bars before a big drum buildup takes us into chorus three. This part is, is awesome. Thanks. That, again, is this, it's this, these two notes, the, with this one, but each one is longer. Yes. But we just, we sort of just needed a place without lyrics, a build to get you to the end where you know you're going to get the, hey, you're part of it again. Yeah. You know, or maybe you don't, but I, we're giving it to you one more time. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, man, I, I, I mean this with the utmost sincerity. It was tough going through this song. There was so much going on. And I was sitting here. I, I kept counting parts. Of, is this 11? Why would they do 11 bars? That's weird. Wait, now it's 12. Why am I counting? Wait, where did I start my count at? I was all over the place with this one. It took me a yeah. long time to go through this song. And it's just, I think it's testament to great songwriting. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think it's just to clarify, I think it's 12 bars. That's what I wrote here, but at the same time, it's it. There's something I, I can't explain it. It's it, it threw me for a little bit of a loop. There's like three sets of, of two, and each time something gets added. Each two, I think. Right. Well, and and the guitar lick thing happens four times in that in that part. Right. Yeah, I haven't actually heard the song in a while, to be honest. Or you know what? But you don't drive down the road and listen to yourself? Come on, Travis. Uh, I do when we're recording the thing, <laughs> if I can. But not usually not after that. Once it's over, I hear it in passing if I'm somewhere and it's being played around me. Right. A guy came into the bar the other day where I work. And he started asking me questions about being in a band. And he's like, I've got to play, play one of your songs. And I was like, well... If you play American Hearts, and this is really weird, on these jukebox down here that are in bars, these like digital ones, American Hearts plays for 30 seconds and stops every time. What? I haven't. Yes. It's so strange. I don't get it. I kind of find it fascinating. I think it's funny, but it's also weird, and I probably should see what's wrong with it. <laughs> You should definitely figure that out because you're, it's you're, happened multiple times. you're probably only getting 30 seconds of royalties, Travis. I mean, you, you, well, I'm probably not getting any royalties from that. Thing. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, I know those those have kind of dried up over the years, huh? Well, yeah. after what I'm calling the musical interlude here. OK, if this isn't a musical interlude and the other part was the bridge, what's this part? No, this is a musical interlude. I just that's just a fancy name for I don't know what I would have called like a musical part, but it's the same thing. It's okay. a musical interlude. And it's a way, I think, also to bring back this for a second and even make this going down to that other note make a little more sense in the long run, too. You know, I, I don't know. It was bringing back a, another one of the small themes in this song, I guess. Right. Well, after we get out of that musical interlude, uh, you hit chorus three. And there's a cool high guitar single note that's held over, kind of panned off to the right. This like feedback that comes into chorus three. It's great. Hey! lyrics are the same as the other two choruses halfway through this chorus you get another great new drum fill and at the end of the song it's only one chorus it's not doubled here uh the last few seconds are the same pattern drum fill as halfway through chorus two that dun 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 uh and then the song ends with a cymbal crash one bass note and a low e piano note uh panned off to the right that is piano right yeah we put it yeah really i was so gung-ho i wanted to try to end american hearts starting long nights but the guy everyone was like it's too fast it's like doesn't so we had to put a note at the end i was like can it be a piano note at least so it's the arrival of the next song we'll never play it that way live but you know so that's what we did there's something about 
a piano note at the end of a song. It's like I don't know. It signals. It's the final ending. It's like the it, the finality. It's like this is this is over. I don't know why. And that's that's the vibe I got from this. It's it's great. Piano is official sounding. Yes, yes. <laughs> now it's it's really after all that's gone on to strip it down to just the bass note and a cymbal crash and, and the piano. It's just so simplistic, but it's awesome. So last thing before we wrap up here, when you heard the mix back for the first time. Uh, what what were your thoughts? That we'd never sounded so good. <laughs> like, this yeah. whole record, I mean, when when we listened back at the end, I was like, how did we make this? How, I mean, yeah. this is good. This album's good. We made something cool. Like, I'm really proud of this. Like, this is going to be a pleasure to show people what we just made. You should be proud of it because 20 years later, it still sounds like a truck coming at you. I mean, I cranked this up in my car yesterday. That's, that's my litmus test. I always like to crank up the song I'm going to talk about the next day, and it just sounds massive. It sounds great. Awesome. Well, thank you. I know uh, we hope one of these days we'll do like a, a re-release of our records on vinyl, a lot of the, all of the Big Wheel catalog. And, and then also I've heard through the grapevine that our stuff doesn't sound that great in the digital realm. So maybe getting that somehow remastered, but we have a lot of digging to do to find all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But I would like to, as a life goal and a band goal, try to work that out in the next couple of years. So hopefully we can do that. Heck yeah. Before we break here, uh, is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with? What's going on with Piebald? Any tour dates coming up? New, new music? Not new music yet, but we are definitely working on new songs, but nothing officially created except for demos which i'm i'm happy with but we gotta make more of them i do want to plug two week notice podcast and dana who made this possible and i know he works hard on that podcast and loves it very much so i'm going to plug that and then piebald has a show at the fest in october in yes. gainesville yes we've Two of them, actually, I'm going to say. And then I know that's going to be really fun, first of all. And you know that's where my band's from, Less Than Jake. I did know you guys were from Florida. I did not know it was Gainesville, though. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's our home. What was the venue down there that we were playing in the late 90s? I remember playing there with Jay June. I remember... Probably the hardback. Yep. That was it. Yeah. Yep. I fell on the fountain once. The yes. Hardback <laughs> it was terrible. I remember that spot. Damn. The good old days. Well, when uh, when we hang up here, I'm going to talk to my band and, and tell them that, listen, before this is all said and done, we have to do at least one show with Pieball, damn it. All right? Let's make this happen. Yes, absolutely. We, we meet, we're long overdue, that's for sure. <laughs> absolutely. Well, uh, Travis, thank you so much for sitting in with us today. I appreciate it. Yep, you are very welcome. Thanks for having me. Long nights, hard times, everything that makes you feel tired. That's why I... Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Travis Shettle, but don't go anywhere. We got lots more Krista Makes a Podcast after a few words from our sponsors. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Hey everybody, it's Chris to Makes a Podcast producer, Chris Fafalius here, once again to share a little clip from an episode of The After Party. The After Party is our weekly podcast that we release to members of our supporting cast. If you're interested in joining our supporting cast, just head over to ChrisToMakes.com for a few bucks a month. You'll get a bonus episode each week, a giant back catalog of episodes of The After Party, and you allow us to continue making Chris to Makes a Podcast. This clip is from our episode titled Iconic Synth Riffs of the 80s that we released back in January. Here we are talking about Joy Division's Love Will Tear Us Apart. Crazy because it's it's catchy and upbeat, but at the same time, it sounds really somber. Yeah, it's got that those goth qualities, you know? It and does. As you, as you said, the track came out in 1980. Ian Curtis was only 23 years old. The remaining members of the band went on to form New Order, which, you know, you got me thinking of another song, which was Blue Monday, released in 1983 from New Order, has another keyboard riff that's just amazing in that tune that wouldn't be the same song. But but uh, yeah, Joy Division, you, you kind of wonder where, where they 
would have uh, went without uh, Ian's suicide. Right, right. And I thought one more thing that was interesting about this song, Chris, was that I guess Ian Curtis a lot of times did play the synth in the band. I, I Or maybe just on the recordings or whatever. He didn't play guitar. That's my point here. So another founding member of Joy Division, Bernard Sumner, he switched from guitar and played the synth when they played this live and Ian Curtis would play guitar but only because someone showed him how to play a D major chord and that's just the only thing he played throughout the entire song thought that was pretty interesting <laughs> yeah um I've never heard this right that's pretty uh, pretty cool. to hear the rest of our iconic synth riffs of the 80s episode as well as a ton of other episodes plus a new episode each week Head over to ChrisDemakes.com and join our supporting cast. Your support allows us to continue making this show. So thanks, everybody. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Breezy Supreme, a black alternative artist from the Washington, D.C., Maryland area. He recently started a pop-punk project with his newest record entitled Bad Decisions. Though he doesn't have a specific end goal, he aims to inspire and create space for other black alternative artists across the globe. Here's a snippet of the song, Palm Pilot. Chris and Chris. So, Chris, I know that myself and all of my friends were really excited about this episode because Piebald's been one of the most unique bands in our world of music. I personally first got into them back in like 1999 because Punchline played a show with them and No Knife were touring and we opened for them oh, cool. back in the real early years of our band. We opened for them at Club Laga and that's when me and my group of friends first kind of got into them but then this album that american hearts is from we are the only friends that we have that once that came out it was like an instant classic amongst me and my friends yeah you know it's it's a travesty i think so many more people should know about this band they are just so cutting edge i i believe ahead of their time i think that you know i had mentioned to travis what was going on back in 2002 uh there's certainly elements here of of what was happening uh uh, in, in underground punk music and mainstream music, but yet they take it to a completely different place with all the textures and, and stuff that they do within the recording. It's it's great. And this song, and I thought maybe you might talk about this, but you didn't. And I don't know if this is really correct or not, but I consider this song an anthem. And I say that because amongst, once again, I'm bringing up my group of friends, the people I have hung out with. I can't think of a more anthemic song that we all celebrate. You put this song on it at a party or you cover this song for fun and people just love it. People lose their minds about it. Would you think of this song as kind of an anthem? Yeah. Now that you mentioned it, I absolutely, I, I completely agree with that. You know, Hey, you're part of it. Yeah. You're part of it. I mean, again, it, it's almost uh, as Travis is saying, it was looked at, I don't want to say he was saying this was a negative connotation, but like you're part of the problem. You're part of what's going on, but it could also be looked at, Hey, you're part of it. You're part of the solution. It's, you know, it, it's anthemic to me. Absolutely. You know, it was interesting hearing him talk about that. Cause I always thought of it as yeah, the verses had their own story, but I always thought of the the chorus as being like, "Hey, you're part of it. You're part of this this room full of people for lack of a better way to put it. You're part of this world. You're part of this scene." And Chris, as testament to that, uh we just played a show with Piebald back in December in Lancaster, PA, and just like you said, just as you picture when you're listening to this song, every fist in the room is in the air with every hey, and it feels like you're part of it. I, I don't even know. That's just all there is to it. You're part of this good feeling or something. Yeah, and and I really want to go back now and listen to the demo 
uh, not, well, not the demo, the original recording that Travis is referring to is a demo to, to hear, uh, as he said, it was slower and, and there was some, some, not as much production. It was re- really stripped down. I'm, I'm interested to hear it, but yeah, this is totally uh, an anthemic song. I agree with Travis. It didn't need any other lyrics in that chorus. The chorus is what it is. It's, it's supposed to be, and it's, it's, it's powerful. Yeah, I would have never thought. It makes sense now that he says it, and if you read the verses, I never thought of that as being like, hey, you're part of it. It being the problem, uh-huh. <laughs> I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have thought that. I would have thought, "Hey, you're part of it. You're part of the world." I would have taken a positive connotation away from that. But that's me just putting my own meaning into it. I guess. Well, I, that's what I drew from it. What he said, reading uh, especially verse one about the guy and he's washing windows, making ten bucks a pop, and he says to me. Hey, you're part of it. You know, he's he's angry with his life. You're you're part of the problem, guy in the fancy car that I'm washing his car. Or I don't know if Travis right. was driving a fancy car, but whatever car he was driving. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Chris, another thing that I thought you guys would maybe touch on here, and I don't know if you necessarily got into it, but the producer of this song, Paul Coldery. Yes. Now I remember Dickie and Joe talking. He was one of the producers of the impression that I get, right? Yeah, he, him and Sean Slade produced the whole Let's Face It record. Right, and I remember Dickie and Joe talking about the huge way that the chorus came in where Dickie did that, like, you know, scream that he does to mm-hmm. go into the, to the chorus to have that dynamic shift. Yes. And then they compared it to the way Radiohead creep comes in yes. in the chorus You're so fucking special but I'm a and I almost felt a parallel with this song how it goes from the down verses to that huge chorus I kind of felt a similarity between Radiohead Creep and the impression that I get with American Hearts. Yeah, especially in verse one where uh, the guitars completely drop out. It's just uh, down to bass and drums for the last four lines before we get into chorus two. It's it's awesome. There's such a dynamic there. And when that chorus two comes in, man, it just hits you like a ton of bricks. It hits you off the top pretty hard, but chorus two is where it really smacks you. Right. I feel like it once again comes back to that quiet, loud thing that people attribute a lot of times to the Pixies and Nirvana. This song has that quality as well. It just goes to show you that that's such a such a great formula. It works so well in this song. It works so well in Radiohead Creep. It works so well in Nirvana songs. You know, I think that there's definitely a parallel there. Yeah. And and I really meant what I said to Travis. There's really no other band that, that sounds like them. I can hear elements of all the influences at the top that he mentioned. I even mentioned Caven, another amazing Boston band. Uh, but for the most part, uh, Piebald are their own thing. It's funny, before we started recording this rap, you said to me, hey, when I do the intro for this, how do I refer to Piebald? Do I call them punk rock? Do I call them post-hardcore? Do I call them, ro- you know, rock? I said, you might as well just go with rock because yeah. I wouldn't know how else. There's so many influences that come in on this band. Nobody else sounds like Piebald or Piebald doesn't sound like anyone else. I did like that you got into the discussion a little bit of guitarmonies because yeah, there are guitarmonies in this song. There was the Thin Lizzy comparison. Yeah, That's just another band you could compare here. There's 50 different bands you could say that you could cite in in uh, when you're referencing Piebald. Yeah, and I love jarring guests' memories of certain things. As he came back, if you notice, Chris said, well, wait a second. Now that you mention it, there probably was a keyboard ghosting that guitar <laughs> part, you know, because right. what a unique sound. I'm like, when that comes in, I'm like, what is that? It's just, it's so different. It is mixed really loud in the mix, but it works. It's almost like how loud that noise, again, I'll reference Radiohead, how that you know, before the chorus, that guitar noise, it's, it's mixed so loud, but it has to, it has to be. One other thing that I would like to note about Piebald and Travis specifically is as a vocalist, I don't think anyone sounds like him as a vocalist either. Mm-mm. He has such a unique vocal delivery, which once again, music aside, it's just another reason why they're set so far apart. You know, back in the day, I remember Piebald being on tours. Yeah, he brought up Newfound. I remember there was a tour that was Newfound Glory, Saves a Day, Piebald. Uh, that was one that like came through back in the, I don't know if it was late 90s, early 2000s. They're very much like in 
our scene. Like, it wouldn't be weird for Piebald to be on tour with Less Than Jake, and it wouldn't be weird for Piebald to be on tour with Caven. They they kind of fit in a lot of different styles of music that are all under the same umbrella. They fit in, but they're also their own thing. Absolutely, yeah. It's... Uh... I was really just kind of taken aback by the whole thing when I when I was going through this song at just how it kept getting more interesting as the track went on. It's just mm-hmm. like that whole, you know, you got 12 bars followed by 16 bars. That's a long time. We're talking about a minute here of this song that's just instrumental. There was no lyrics there, but the part is just so interesting. Uh, and after all that, you come into one last chorus and that's all you get. They don't double it at the end and then it just ends with a bass and piano note. And I think that was just, that's just the icing on the cake. Chris, I'll tell you one reason I was really excited about this episode was you and I have a little bit of an age gap. And like you said to Travis, Less Than Jake and Piebald, for one reason or another, have never crossed paths, have never played a show together. And I was pretty sure that you weren't familiar with Piebald. And I mean, I might be wrong about that. Did you know this song before we did this episode? No, I probably heard it back in the day. I'm certainly familiar with the band, but they're, they're one of those bands that kind of, we never played with them. We never crossed paths. Right. And, and But their legacy to me has been in the last 10 years i keep hearing their name all yeah. the time and how many times in our facebook group have we heard you need to get piebald on you need to get piebald that a lot of people have been asking for them and and uh, and here we are right i knew you would absolutely love this band that's why i was excited that was my point as i was excited like this this band once again among me and and my group of friends they're like a legendary for band sure. but you and i have a little bit of an age gap to where you didn't come up listening to Piebald. They were peers of yours that you never crossed paths with, and I knew you would love this band. Right. And you know what else I love, Chris? Can, can you oh, guess? What is, can you guess? What is that, Chris? I, I, what is that? Take a guess. <laughs> take a stab. Come on, please. You love the listeners of our podcast. I do love the listeners. I also love the ones that have joined our supporting cast. Tell everybody about that, Chris. Yeah, our supporting cast. If you head to ChrisDemakes.com, not only will you support the podcast that you love, aka Chris Demakes a podcast, but you'll get a bonus episode of the After Party podcast where Chris and I make it. We make them a lot of fun. They're very entertaining. They're very educational. Uh, You'll get one of those every week as well. And of course, you support the podcast that you love. So ChrisDemakes.com if you're interested for a few bucks a month in supporting what we do over here at Krista Makes Podcast. Absolutely. That's awesome, Chris. And uh, if you haven't already, give me a follow on Instagram at less than Chris D. Check out my YouTube page too. Krista Makes YouTube page. I got a bunch of cool stuff on there where you can hear my custom songs and jingles. Yes, that's right. I write custom songs and jingles. If you'd like more information on that, hit me up at ChristaMakes at gmail.com. And I want to thank this week's guest, Travis Shuttle, for sitting in with us. We'll see you next week. Do you enjoy the content and production of Krista Makes a Podcast? Do you have an idea for a podcast or an existing podcast that you'd like to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. At WeKnowPodcasting.com, we have over 25 years of combined experience in the pod field, and we're ready to help you succeed in the golden era of podcasting. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.